Welcome to the Powers on Sports Podcast for the week of January 21st, MLK Day. I'm your host, Jason Powers. We've got a special guest here. We've got my baseball insider from the Tampa Bay area, Mr. Gary Garcia. Mr. Garcia is a uh, legendary youth and youth coach here in the Bay Area. I've known Gary for probably 30 years. We grew up together, went to school together a lot, but Gary's been in the Tampa Bay area coaching baseball kids and working with major league players and that kind of stuff for many, many years. So welcome to the show, Gary. How you doing today? And uh, so today we are going to talk a little. Gary works for a company called Next Level. They are a baseball instruction academy here in Tampa. They work with you know junior high, high school, young young players. They also do a lot of work with major league and minor league college players. This is the time of the year when these guys come into town prior to spring training to get batting practice, pitching stuff, that kind of stuff. Get it to get you know conditioning and that kind of stuff to get ready for spring training. So. We're going to have Gary talk a little bit about some of his baseball uh, interactions with some of these big league guys. There's been some major league guys, big, big timers that have uh, Gary's worked with over the years and had the pleasure of working with. So we're going to get some insight on that. We're going to, Tonight, we're going to talk a little Hall of Fame baseball. Who got in? Who didn't get in? Should the guys who've got in, gotten in gotten in? And will Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens ever get in? Probably not. <laughs> A lot of debate whether there should be a steroid, you know, uh, a, a debate about steroid use and all that. Do you put something on their plaque? Do you elect them? Do you not elect them? So we're going to get into that tonight as well. And obviously we're going to talk about the Super Bowl matchup, Super Bowl 53, between the New England Patriots and L.A. Rams. We're going to digest kind of what happened in the NFC and AFC championship games. Two incredible games on Sunday. First time ever, both championship games went to overtime, which was fantastic. Me and Gary were sitting in a sports bar watching both games from start to finish and just lots and lots of drama. Very controversial. Some lots of controversy, some officiating, some kicking, some no calls, some flags, some great quarterback play, just some great football. So if you're a football fan, how, how could you not like, even though you probably didn't like who won with the old Patriots for a lot of you guys out there, how do you how do you not like the two games and how they ended and all the drama? So let's get into uh, first things first. Let's uh, again let's get into uh, the NFC title game first. We'll start off in New Orleans. That was the the opening game on, of the day on Sunday. We had the Saints and the Rams. So the Saints jump out to a quick lead, thirteen nothing. I told Gary. Right after it became 13 nothing, I was like, I think the, it ought to be at least 17, if not 21, because the Rams were playing pretty poor on offense. The Saints were playing very well on defense, but they had to kick two field goals early and settle. And I told Gary, I said, look out. Don't let these guys hang around. Seems like the uh, Saints went into some prevent offense. I mean, I was very, there were some very, you know, a couple questionable play calls. You had uh, Taysom Hill trying to run the option down at the goal line. Put your Hall of Famer in there. Don't don't be too cute here. Let's let's do what we do best. And the Saints uh, squandered a couple golden opportunities early in the game. Todd Gurley was obviously uh, I don't know if he was hurt, if he was just not into the game, but you know he had a ball go right through his hands that turned to an interception. And after about the third or fourth possession of the game, it became very clear he either got benched or was something was going on because C.J. Anderson got most of the action from there on out. With the Rams, so. And it would 10 yards. 
Yeah, Gurley had 10 yards on, I think, three or four carries. He ended up scoring a touchdown just by pure chance of him being in the game. But, I mean, he was totally ineffective. And to be honest with you, how the Rams won that game with Gurley getting 10 yards and they held C.J. Anderson to like 44 yards. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> it wasn't 48. <laughs> it wasn't 48. We like keeping him under 48. But, uh, you know, again, talking about, uh, again, the Saints score – no excuse for the Saints. You're up 13-0 at home. You're up 20-10, to and you lose the game in a game that they should have clearly won. You know, they were, you know, after the second quarter, the, the game kind of settled down, but the, the Saints had every opportunity in the world, and we're going to get into the to the no call at the end of the game here in a little bit. But, I mean, the Saints in their building up 13, up 20-10, up to 10, have no business losing that game. No chance of losing that game. Shouldn't have lost it. They're in the game, they, and the Rams just battled. The Rams battled, stayed in there, kept it close. Golf made some big throws, uh, had some big catches. Defense showed up. And the weird thing is on defense, Aaron Donald and Sue weren't big factors in the game. and they didn't, I don't think they might have had one sack between them, but two sacks, okay. But, I mean, it wasn't like Aaron Donald was wrecking the game. I mean, it was just – I mean, got to give the Rams defense credit. The secondary, Peters and Tlaib. They blank in Thomas. Yeah, Mike Thomas was pretty much a non-factor in the game. You know, early in the game, you had on the first drive of the game, the tight end for the Saints, Arnold, dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone, which made him kick the first field goal. Then, again, they had a, the next possession, they, 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 it was kind of some, you know, strange play calling. They ran a they ran a wide receiver screen on, like, third and nine to Kamara for, like, two yards. Had to kick another field goal. But uh, – you know, let's get to, you know, second half. The game kind of settled in. The Rams got back in the game. Again, 20-10 fourth quarter. The uh, the Saints, questionable coaching. Game gets to 20-20. 20-20 late in the fourth quarter. Breeze throws a deep ball to Ted Ginn Jr. at the two-minute warning. So the, so the Saints have first down and 10 from the New Orleans 14-15 yard line the Saints have one at the two-minute warning. The Saints only have one timeout left. If they play the clock right, they they can they can if they, as long as you keep the ball in bounds and you don't throw an incomplete pass, at most the Saints are gonna I mean the Rams are gonna probably have no more than probably 25 seconds left if you kick a field goal. Um, first down play. Breeze throws a quick little kind of wide receiver slant, quick slant to Thomas, and uncharacteristically throws a one hopper right into the ground. I mean, to me, I didn't think it was a terrible call because that, to me, that's an extended running play. But the defensive back fell. Yeah, I mean, the defensive backs. When you look at the replay, the DB falls down. So it was wide open spaces. All Breeze has to do is throw him the ball. Thomas is not dropping the ball, and it would have been at minimum a five or six yard gain inbounds. Would have forced the Rams to use their timeout, but he throws it in the ground. So now it's second and ten. Second and ten, they run a a, a, a toss sweep out to uh, Kamara for nothing. The Rams call timeout with like one forty-five left in the game. Third and ten is where all the drama begins, yeah. brother. Where all the controversy. It's third and ten. Helmet to helmet. We got we got a wheel route to Tommy Lee Lewis out of the backfield down the sideline to about the five yard line. Breeze throws the ball, and we have a DB for the Rams just totally lights up Tommy Lee Lewis, who's the, who's the receiver coming out of the backfield, not playing the ball, clearly gets there before the ball 
gets there and helmet to helmet and very 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 obvious probably a helmet to helmet call and we have a no call by anybody the linesman doesn't throw the flag the deep the deep wing doesn't throw the flag the back judge doesn't throw the flag and we have a absolute uproar in the in the superdome not only did he do that did they not throw the flags the guy who hit him looked around and said nobody threw a flag i don't understand he was baffled in the in the in the thing report after the game, he was baffled that he looked. Y'all didn't call a flag on that one, and like he stole it. I mean, and, and you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an official high school official, and every, I, I try as much as I can to try to defend these guys because people don't realize the speed of the game, whether it's the college level, even the high school level, the speed of the game is pretty pretty incredible. And obviously, once you get to the pro, the NFL level, the, the speed is incredible, but. In a situation like that, you as an official, we take the mantra that you want the players to, to decide the game late in the game, but you have to call the obvious, the, the, the thing that everybody in the stadium can see. You got it. You have to pull the trigger and throw the flag when it has to be thrown. Let me ask you a question. Since you're a referee, in that situation, worst case scenario, shouldn't they have thrown the flag and at least got everybody together and discuss it and say, hey, did you see that? I had this. You do have this, but if you throw no flag, there's going to be no discussion. That's that, that's a great point. I mean, a lot of times that that's that's something that you could do as the official is you could you know if it's a bang bang call like that and you're just not fully 100. First of all, you're not supposed to as an official to be honest. You not if you don't see the whole play or you don't see it, you're not supposed to throw the flag. So in some respects, you don't want to necessarily do that. But if it's a bang bang call like that. That would be something you could throw the flag. There's been many times I've seen guys throw a flag. The the, the 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 linesman and the deep wing guy will get together and talk about it. And at worst, you can always wave it off. If you if one guy had a great angle, maybe saw something the other guy didn't see, you can you can either go with the flag or if there's enough you know, enough information to, to overturn the call and, and wave it off, you can do that. But you can't, unfortunately. But the reverse of that is if nobody throws the you flag, you can't wave on a flag. <laughs> you don't have, and, and, and here's the and here's the thing about replay. You can't obviously at this point in the, in the replay process, we can't review a penalty or non-penalty. So unlike fumbles or unlike interceptions that are inbounds or out of bounds, where replay can help you, replay can't help the officials when it comes to penalties. If you don't, whether you throw the flag or not, replay can't help you. But so that's the one, you know, the one caveat that you have to remember is. If you if the guys would have thrown the flag there, you could have gotten together and talked about it and figured out, hey, he did he hit him helmet to helmet? He hit him early. It could have been interference, whatever. But for there to be no flag thrown on that play, especially it was on the New Orleans. The other thing people don't realize it was on the New Orleans sideline. And again, not that you're going to get talked into a call as the official, but on a new You've been talked into people have been talked into a call <laughs> guys i can promise you have been influenced by a <laughs> by a situation when you're on that team sideline and and you know these are these are the best of the best officials nobody's disparaging their their competency as an official and like i told gary sunday there are just as much pressure on the players as the, there's that much pressure on the officials and sometimes officials just freeze up just like players late in the game they make a mental mistake and they just completely freeze up and and for what for that split second they they just they miss it they don't see it they don't see what they're they're not able to focus and that those kind of things happen and it's it's a it's unfortunately it was a kind of call in the game that you give New Orleans a first down on the six yard line now there's a first and ten on the six 
And New Orleans has, I mean, the Rams have no timeouts. New Orleans kneels the ball three times or two times, burns the clock all the way to the gun, and kicks the field goal in the last play of the game. And now that call or non-call determines who goes to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and uh, they kick the field goal, and right after the field goal gets kicked, uh, Sean Payton is on the phone with the league office. Yeah, he's on, he's on call waiting with the league office trying to figure out. And they right then knew they blew it. Right. I mean, but there's nothing you could do. I mean, I can promise you the guys that were in New York up in the uh, in the in the headquarters of the NFL replay, the officiating, all the replays go through New York. I can promise you they were all cringing in the in the conference room watching that, knowing, knowing unfortunately there's nothing they can do to even help the guys. You can't throw the flag after the fact. And actually, later that night, they had to move the referees out of the hotel because they were getting threats. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, we talked about that Sunday. Yeah. Like I these, saw a report today that said they had to move them. NFL security, uh, had, security had to move them out of there because they were oh, getting sure. you know berated. Oh, and I mean, now you're in New Orleans over there now too. I mean, I can't imagine those guys having to when whoever saw them at that at their hotel when they walked out of the. From the you know back from the game to their hotel, somebody recognized those guys. I can promise you, and it was probably pretty ugly. That that, that <laughs> and I I can promise you those guys were not going out on Bourbon Street Sunday night for a beverage or a or a meal. And every one of those referees probably has a pin doll now, a voodoo doll that people are pressing. And the and the bad and the bad part is these guys do a great job throughout the year, and it's just unfortunate that a call like that, which I hate to say it, it determines it it guaranteed. That the Rams ha- would still have an opportunity to, to 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 win the game, which they ultimately did, but it absolutely would have if, if they throw the flag there, the game's over, and New Orleans is going to the Super Bowl. They're, that's I mean that's pretty indisputable. That's it, unless the guy misses a twenty yard field goal. But yeah. but give the Rams credit after the field goal, down three points, Jared Goff with with limited time and one time and, and one time one, one timeout, time he drives him down. He completes a big a big ball down to they they. It, they they get in position. People don't realize on second down before they kick the field goal to tie the game, uh, Golf avoids a sack, gets gets the ball away, doesn't take a sack and all that stuff. Zerline, probably the hero of the game, jeez, nuts up and kicks a forty eight yard field goal in the last five seconds of regulation. And then we're gonna get to overtime here in a second. Then it comes back in overtime and kicks the game. But Greg Zerline, championship kicker, had a has had a great career. He is your. He is a prototypical big time kicker. He very good form, very underrated. But that guy is a heavyweight kicker. That guy. That guy's probably the him and Goskowski and Vinatieri are probably the three best kickers in the NFL right now. So, all right. So, Gary Garcia, do we should we allow replay on flags? Whether they're no calls calls, should we allow a coach to challenge that kind of stuff? I'll get your opinion first, and then I'll give you mine. That's a, that's a tough thing. and I've heard people say maybe the rules should be a little different in the playoffs. I heard that today. Maybe when it gets there, there may be you know, a, a review uh, problem, but it, it lengthens the game. Listen, it's about getting it right at the end of the day, I think. So, I mean, at first it's going to be the pass interference, and then – then the offensive people are going to come. Uh, the defense is going to say maybe it's offensive pass interference, or you can call holding on every down. I mean, so it's you know I think it's a slippery slope. You know, it, it's I, I don't really have an answer for that, but I'd say 
I feel bad for the Saints right now, but there's nothing they could do. But um, I'd say probably not. One thing I'll say, I'll say as an official, I would not be a fan of being able to review flags that are not called for sure because as an official, a good official, we could throw a penalty on every play, whether it's the high school level, the college level, the pro level. You could throw a penalty on every play for something against somebody. Holding, you know, you know, the offensive holding by linemen, holding by DBs and on receivers, you know, face masks, I, you could call that stuff on every single play. I would not want to have the ability for a coach to challenge whether the left tackle is holding the defensive end. Because officials, a lot of good, the best officials referee the game based on advantage versus disadvantage. If the left guard, if the, if the left tackle is holding, but we, we run to the ball to the right, there's no advantage gained by either guy. If the DB on the left side of the field might be holding the the, the, the the receiver, but we throw the ball to the right, there really is not much of an advantage gained, so sometimes they don't throw the flag. So I would not want the coaches to have blind uh, ability to do that. Now, would I would I have a problem if, if the replay people in New York in a playoff situation could fix an egregious call on something that's directly impacting on the play, on a catch, no catch, on a – Interference, no interference on a face mask on somebody who's involved in either catching the ball or running with the ball. I could maybe live with that, but I would not want the coaches to have free reign on a replay of a call that wasn't made or on a holding or on a false start or on a, you know, the other game we had a, you know, there was a, the offsides by the defensive end for Kansas City. That was the right call and a great call. I would not want the ability for, for a coach to be able to challenge was. That guy offsides by six inches in the neutral zone. Kind yeah, of but stuff. I heard I heard uh, Andy Reid the next day say usually a referee will give the guy a please, warning. Please, please. Give bro, the guy a bro, warning. We ain't giving you a warning with a minute 50 left in the game. <laughs> Playing in the, against Tom Brady. In the AFC championship game, bro. You ain't getting a warning. You might get a warning in the first quarter on the first drive of the game if you're marginally over. But that Kansas City game, he was clearly offsides. And, you know, we're going to get to that in a second. But – all right, so let's get to overtime. 20 to 20, we're going to overtime. Next debate, should both teams get an opportunity with the ball in overtime? In this game, it wasn't a factor because the Saints had the ball first, threw an interception. The Rams then went down and kicked the game, went in 57-yard field goal, by the way. We're not that would have been good from 70. Yeah, good from 70. Legitimately good from 70 right down the pipe. And But the big debate is, do you give – you guarantee both teams an opportunity with the ball, even if the first team scores a touchdown. Your thoughts? I think uh, the way it is now, I think I like the way it is now, that if the team goes down and scores a touchdown, I mean, you had four quarters to win the game. And the first team gets the ball, who wins a toss, they go down there, they score a touchdown, it's over. They kick a field goal, you got and a the chance. other team gets a chance. You know, so I don't mind how it is now, you know, it – the, t- the first game, they flipped a coin. Each team got the thing, uh, got the ball. The other team that lost Threw the toss pick. won. You're right. The, the one who lost the toss won, won the, the game. game. The second game, the other way around. So it looks like 50-50 to me. Yeah, and I think I heard some statistics today that it's, you know, it's, it's like 53% probability. Not pr- the, the statistics say 53% of the time the team that wins the toss wins the game in overtime. That doesn't mean on the first possession, but wins the game. Yeah. To me, that is not – enough of a deviation to say we're going to make a change and I'm with you. If if you if you're good enough to go down and score a touchdown, the game should be over. 
If you don't, you got every chance in the world. We're going to talk about the Kansas City game. They had all the opportunity in the world to hold Brady to a field goal or stop him. And so I'm with you. I think if they score a touchdown on the first drive, lights out, ball game. And like in this game, New Orleans throws an interception. By the way, there was there really wasn't much talk about this, but when Brady when Breeze got hit, the ball didn't get hit. His arm got hit, and there was some contact, a little, a little contact between Mike Thomas and the DB. And I think the officials, the what, because the ball came out kind of end over end, and the guy made a a catch on the ball. I don't think the officials realized that the ball never got hit. It was his arm, and that you could technically st- still have pass interference. So, um, again, great job by the Rams in a, in a just a brutally tough environment. A shout out to my buddy Jamie who was at the game Sunday in New Orleans. I know I, I can't I can't imagine how loud that place was. The electricity, <clears throat> but it's just a Fantastic NFC Championship game. Boy wonder, heading to the Super Bowl. The Sean McVay rules are in effect, baby. Yeah. I mean, this guy, you got to give him credit, man. I mean, they didn't call it, they weren't great on offense, but they were good enough. Wade Phillips in the defense. Had enough. Akeem Talib. Marcus Peters had, I'm sure, a nice big bowl. Mark Barron, ex Buck. Ex Buck, Mark Barron. Uh, I'm sure uh, Mr. Peters had a nice big bowl of gumbo Sunday night yes, in New Orleans, did. as well as some other things. And so, uh, <laughs> but a great game in New Orleans. And uh, the Rams march on to the Super Bowl in Atlanta. And they are going to face, once again, for the ninth time in the last 18 years, the, 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 the perceived evil empire from New England. The hoodie, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots find a way to get it done on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs in just another dramatic football game. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, that's uh, two major sports. Baseball had Boston, L.A. in the the World Series, and now we got L.A. and New England in the Super Bowl. That's the first time that's ever happened. Yeah, so, you know. Two major sports have played in the finals. In the same kind of calendar year. Yep. So, uh, you know, everybody's going to make the conspiracy theory. Oh, the networks wanted the Patriots because of TV ratings. That was another one. That New England came out, and it looked like it was going to be blowout city. Yep. I mean, I mean, if the, if the Chiefs could score in the first half in the first, at all. Uh, and it ain't even about scoring. New England kept playing keep away. New England had the ball. Eight-minute drive, the first drive. And, you know, the first questionable move of the game was by Andy Reid. Wins the coin toss and defers, giving the ball to Tom Brady. I just thought that was a big mistake because if you watch the game the week before against the Chargers, New England had about a seven-and-a-half, eight-minute drive, ran it down their throats, and the game was basically over after that drive because of the just the physicality and the and – the, you know, putting it to him that first drive. I just, I was stunned that Reed gave Brady the first opportunity with the ball when he's got the most, when Kansas City and Mahomes have the most prolific offense in the league. Not to go back to college, but that's the same thing Oklahoma did against Alabama. I mean, <laughs> the same thing. You win the toss, let's give it to the team that is unstoppable, basically. I mean, and I mean, it makes, you know, that, that didn't make too much sense. You're at home, they're saying, oh, let's do the old, uh, the, the now, old, now let's get it before and the after. I mean, I, I get it. You're, you're trying to give your defense some confidence by putting them out there first, but you're you de- don't put your second best unit on yes, the field. You put your best unit on the field first, and you say, "Go get us the lead," because Kansas City needed to play from the from ahead in that game. Not that they couldn't come back, but 
they needed, you know, they needed to put the pressure on on New England to have to keep up points wise, and because New England didn't want to be in a forty to, you know, a thirty seven thirty one kind of game, because if again seven nothing late into the second quarter, yeah, play action at the two, and uh, yeah. Sony Michelle was running a track yeah, meet I mean, every, every down, and I'm, they want to go play action, play action for some apparent reason and throw an interception to go fourteen nothing. Yeah, I mean, you got to get. I mean. I think, yeah, Josh McDaniels definitely got too cute. I mean, New England was dominating the offensive line versus defense. You know, their offensive line was dominating in the run game. Brady was doing just enough in the passing game to move the ball. But the offensive line was devastating in that first half. And McDaniels got pretty cute on the goal line trying to run a play action to Gronk. And, and Brady throws it right to the middle linebacker. When If you run the ball two more times, you're almost, I don't say guarantee, but High, high, high percentage that you're going to get in the end zone and make it 14 to nothing early, but because if you watch the game late in the first half, it's seven to nothing. New England has the ball under two minutes left in the in the half, and they are not even trying to score. They've run the ball on first and second down, basically almost going to run the clock out in the first half. And guess what Andy Reid does? Which I can't kill him for this. He calls timeout on third down on their own, probably New England's probably 25 yard line. It was third down. Calls timeout, and all of a sudden that turns Brady and Belichick and McDaniel say, okay, you want to call timeout? They had some. They had three timeouts and left. New England had all their timeouts, so New England says, okay, we're going to throw the ball now, convert the first down, end up driving down and throwing about a 30-yard touchdown to Philip Dorsett, which really then makes it 14 to nothing when, again, I don't kill Reed for calling a timeout because you're on defense, you're losing, it's third and seven. That's the play to make, so I can't kill them for that. But it just shows you what the Patriots are capable of doing if you give them almost like extra outs in baseball. Yes. If you give extra opportunities to Brady, the good teams, the the good hitters, the good hitting teams, the good base running teams, they're always going to capitalize and cash in, and the Patriots cash in. So it's 14 nothing. First drive of the second half, Kansas City comes right down the field, scores 14-7. Now it's game on. The game kind of settles down. It's – it's a 17-7 game going to the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, we have an unbelievable fourth 38 quarter. 38 points. 38 scored in the fourth quarter. Four lead changes. Just an incredible fourth quarter. And I know we were we were talking about the over-under. We were yeah. talking about total points. And that just got totally blown up in the fourth quarter. It was unbelievable how – and really, every, both teams played great in the fourth quarter. Nobody played bad. There weren't turnovers. There wasn't sloppy play. DBs didn't fall down. Both teams played great in the fourth quarter. Mahomes was great in the fourth quarter. Can somebody tell me how that ball missed Edelman's hand on the butt? Jeez. I mean, yeah, mid-fourth quarter, it's 21-17, New England, Kansas City punts. The ball rolls. Edelman tries to field it, misplays it. Somehow, some way, it does not touch Edelman, which I agree, I think was the right call. Again, all you conspiracy theorists out there that think it's all for the Patriots and that the league loves the Patriots, which I can promise you it's the other way around. They can't stand the Patriots in the league office. Your boy Goodell can't stand the Patriots after all the deflate gate stuff. They make the right call, give the ball back to the Patriots. Then we had more controversial calls. Now he threw an interception two right, plays two play, later. Yeah, they justice, ended up scoring anyway. Justice was they threw the interception. Yeah. Kansas City takes the lead 24-21. So then – Brady takes them down the field, makes it 28-24. Mahomes 
takes them right back down the field and makes it 31 20 no 31 what was it? He made 31 no 28 it made Mahomes takes the lead at 28 24 my my apologies it was 24 21 Patriots Mahomes takes the lead 28 20 28 24 at the two-minute warning. And when there's two minutes left in the game, me and Double G look at each other in duckies on Sunday. <laughs> there's too much time left in and this game. And then we got the Phantom roughing the passer. Oh, yeah. Fan, uh, did he hit his face mask? Uh, you should know right away that, listen, he's been dropped back 90 times, and he's only been touched three times in the playoffs. The offensive line for the Patriots, incredible job in the playoffs. But then again, he's only holding the ball for 2.6 seconds. And I think again, I think again, the, the the officiating comes into question here. You know, I think the, the the referee who's that's who's called is this the referee's call all the way? There's nobody else making that call on that rough in the pass other than the referee. Said he had a bad angle. He was in a bad spot, and it's not hard to do with those linemen. When you know when these linemen are, are rushing in the in the pass protection, the one thing I'll say I don't think he did a great job of is had Brady's face mask kind of gone down because of the swipe then that's a pretty good indicator that he gets hit. Because if you watch the replay, Brady's face mask doesn't – his face doesn't go down. His face mask doesn't go down. Uh, he, he ends up throwing an incomplete pass, but it's a rough in the passer. It gives him 15 yards, first down. That was a bad – that was a missed call. And, again, you ask yourself, is that something you want replay intervening on? I don't think you do. I think it's just a – it was a bad – he was in a bad angle. You know, he probably shouldn't have thrown the flag if he didn't fully see it. It sounds like he was in a, ba- in a position where he – didn't see the you didn't see but the, the play. game's over if that guy's not offsides. If right. if, if Ford's not offsides, say what you want. At, even after that rough in the passer, three or four plays later, D Ford it's it's second down, and Brady throws an off balance pass to Gronkowski, tipped off his hands. The KC DB intercepts the ball. Clearly, clearly the game is over. Kansas City's going to the Super Bowl, but we have a flag for D Ford lining up offsides, and there was no doubt about it. There's nothing you can say. Not about jumping off sides. Lined up off sides. He was pitching a tent. I mean, say what you want. That's those are the kind of plays that separate the Patriots from everybody else. The Patriots, you hate to say it, they don't make those they, they don't make those mistakes when it's crunch time. Fundamentals. Fundamentals, discipline, play the game all the way to no the penalties. end. No penalties. Do they not have a penalty in the whole Zero game? Zero penalties. Yeah, and I see. No, it. no, I don't think they had a. Penalty. They had a couple. Remember, they, they had, had a couple interference calls late on the the one guy, the DB for. Yeah, they, uh, had, they had a couple, but yeah, but they again from a discipline perspective, from a, a a fundamental perspective, one thing you have to respect, whether you like the Patriots or not, is they are the most fundamentally sound, and they've been the best team that plays situational football probably in the history of the game. Yes, I think uh, I think they end up being like twelve for nineteen. On third down. 13, I have it noted down. 13 of 19 on third downs. And uh, those the in overtime, it was third and 10, third and 9, third and 10. Those aren't like little ones. Those are uh, big-time freaking plays. Big-time throws, you know, wrong shoulder throws. Kowski going across the middle. Edelman one-handed. So we go, we go to overtime. Overtime. And the most critical play of the game might be the coin toss. And, and, and Patriots win the coin toss. It's incredible to think they've been in three overtime games where they've scored touchdowns to win the game in overtime. I mean, uh, Sunday they beat the Falcons in the Super yeah. Bowl, and then they had one more game where they scored a touchdown, I think maybe against San Diego a long time ago. They had ago. no reason being in that Falcon game a couple yeah. years ago. Okay, so once again, Kansas City has another opportunity to stop Brady. I think we all thought – 
if Brady got the ball in, in overtime, they were going to score. Because, yeah. again, the one thing about that game plan that, again, people don't that overlook a little bit, the Patriots' time of possession in, in regulation and the amount of plays they ran. They ran 81 plays in regulation to Kansas City's like 35 or yeah. 40. They had the ball in re- they had the ball like 40 minutes of the 60 in regulation. I mean, Kansas City's defense was on the field the entire game and it wasn't a track meet kind of game. It was a run the ball, very physical game. That defense had to have been exhausted in overtime as we moved along. Brady completes three third and longs in overtime. Just incredible. I mean, Chris Hogan makes an incredible one-handed catch. Controversial review on third. One of those third and yeah. nines was the one-handed catch Hogan makes. Incredible. Edelman, once again, just kills them on third. and I mean, just they keep running. The, Gronk, Gronk made a nice play. Gronk, they throw the fade down the side. I mean, Gronk catches a slant on third and ten, which apparently they drew up in the hotel room that morning. McDaniels and Brady and the offense draw up this slant play to Gronk in the damn hotel room on Sunday morning, which is, again, incredible that you're going to then call that play in overtime at the biggest moment. Yeah. I mean. That's throwing it on the table, fellas. And give Gronk credit. That guy played great. Everybody says Gronk's done, and he may, he's not the same guy he was, but that guy played pretty darn good Sunday, both receiving and, even more importantly, blocking. That guy is a devastating Hall of Fame blocker. Might not be a Patriot fan. Probably uh, don't like it too much, but you got to respect him. you got to respect Tom Brady. I mean, nine Super Bowls. I mean, not yeah. – the guy's been in 13 AFC Championship games in 17 years as a starter. And nine he's nine nine and four in AFC Championship games. I mean, that is just stunning and probably will never be matched as far as number of times in the championship game no. and Super Bowl. I mean, nine Super Bowls is just sick. Um, and the other and again, the last thing before the Patriots score is I'm surprised, again, Andy Reid, you have timeouts in overtime. You don't call one timeout in overtime. Just to give a breath. Just to let your guys breathe. Forget about what you're calling on defense. Let your guys get some oxygen there and recover a little bit to try to stop them. And, again, Patriot way, they pound it in. They run it down their throat. Rex Burkhead scores the game winner. And the Patriots are off to Hotlanta one more time for a Super To the Dirty South. To the Dirty South. So, again, incredible – Championship games, two overtimes. You have to whether you, again, whether you don't like the Patriots, you like them, the Chief fan or not. Two great games. I'd be very confident to say the Chiefs will be back in the, in a championship situation again. Bob Sutton, defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, gets relieved of his duties yesterday, which was Tuesday. Um, they I think haven't it was, hired nobody yet. Haven't hired anybody yet. I think it was a move you had to make. Unfortunately, their defense has just been so porous throughout the year. Um, you know, they had a championship offense and, and you know, that's that's a tough thing. That guy will get another job doing something, but it's a but but Bob Sutton relieved of his duties. A couple of names that being being banded around one Rex Ryan and Steve Spagnola. Yeah. Spagnola is the front runner, supposedly, but uh Rex Ryan would bring some uh, some high energy in yeah. there, but he also might not keep his mouth shut. Yeah, I don't know if Andy Reid and Rex Ryan will get along real <laughs> yeah. well. But uh, I think it sounds like Spagnuolo is going to get that job because he used to work for Andy Reid back in Philadelphia, back in the you know when they were in Philadelphia. So I think unless something happens, Spagnuolo I think will get the job. If he doesn't for some reason, then you look at Rex Ryan. But Rex better keep his mouth shut and just coach yes. some, and coach some defense. Just coach a damn game. Yeah. So all right. So 
quick thoughts on Super Bowl Fifty Three. We don't need. I don't need a prediction. If you want, yeah, you can give a prediction because give us your prediction. I know the game's not for another week. Yeah, we got time for predictions, but uh, I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think that over is going to be not even close. I see. What did uh, come out? Fifty seven. Fifty seven and a half. I probably see. I see the Patriots winning. 41 wow 34 wow a shootout 41 34 indoors in indoors the, in, the, in the mercedes in benz in the mercedes benz door, uh, uh, dome and i would go with uh, the 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 mvp I mean, if they score 41, there's only one guy that's going to be the mvp if they score 41 it's going to be sony michelle sony michelle oh wow okay i mean the 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 funny thing is the is the line opened Rams minus one and a half or one within Sunday an night. Hour, within an hour. By the time Monday morning, the sun came up on Monday morning on the East Coast, the Patriots were two-point favorites. So everybody and their mother loaded the wagon on the Patriots early. And, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but like I've told you guys in the podcast and I've told Double G, there are some things called the Patriot rules that are in effect. And the last two weeks, they've delivered – yeah, I mean, I, I, if if the, if the, the I mean the spreads right now Patriots two and a half, over unders fifty six fifty seven. I mean, I, I I just think that you know my early thoughts are offensive line versus defensive line for the for the offensive line of New England versus St Louis. I mean the Rams defensive line is going to be critical in this game. Sue Donald Dante Fowler, uh, the weakness of the Rams are the linebackers, which which to me. Smells J- James White. Yes. A lot of catches, James White. 15. I don't know about 15, but a lot of catches. Yeah. Had a lot of isolation. I'm just saying he caught 15 that one game. You know, you got the, the Rams with a good secondary. The question to, do, for the Rams, do you blitz Brady? Do you rush four? You know, on, on, how do you handle that? You're playing bump and run. You, you know, you got two good bump and run corners with Tlaib and, and Marcus Peters. You got Wade Phillips. Remember, Wade Phillips was in Denver a few years back with with Manning when they when the when the Patriots and the Broncos went after it Manning and the in the in the Broncos may, may, beat Brady in Denver for the AFC cha- championship game went to the Super Bowl so a there was of, a quarterback named Manning coaching that yeah, quarterback in that team a lot of history though between Brady and Belichick and Wade, uh, Wade Phillips so offensively you got Sean uh, McVay versus Belichick you give Belichick 2 weeks to get ready the guy always no, the guy takes away your whatever he perceives your number one option. Tyreek Hill Sunday in Kansas City, one catch. You know, Travis Kelsey, three catches. Total non-factors. Belichick's gonna take away, in my opinion, probably Brandon Cooks. Yeah. The ex-Patriot who played for them. He's the he's the burner. It, but he also may take the position. We know Brandon Cooks. We know what he does and doesn't do. We may not need to double team him. We may go double team Robert Woods. We may go try to take Todd Gurley out of the game, the running game. I think they'll take away one of the pass catchers, uh, probably Cooks. I think they. Pre- I think they'll feel pretty confident being able to stop Robert Woods. But again, can the Rams establish a running game against the the perceived weakness of the Patriots, which is the defensive front seven? But Playoff time, they've done a pretty good job stopping the run. They shut down Melvin Gordon. They shut down, for the most part, Kansas City's running game. I mean, Damian Williams, most of his damage was due was in the passing game, catching balls out of the backfield. So what do you do if you're if you're Sean McVay? Their offense is predicated on play action. You have to establish the running game. 
I don't think I don't think Jared Goff can drop back forty times and beat the Patriots. I don't think so either. So that's going to be the the chess match: offensive line versus defensive line for both teams. Both teams have very good secondaries. Special teams, again, probably a dead even. You got Zerline, you got Goskowski for the Patriots. The other thing, maybe one of the biggest plays in the game Sunday for the Rams, down 13-0. What do the Rams do? Run a fake punt on their own 30-yard line. Hecker is a great guy to throw the ball. The, the Rams punter has thrown, I think I saw, he's thrown like 12 or 13 completed passes yeah. on fake punts. The guy's a weapon in the in the in the punting game as a as a you know possible guy to throw the ball. So don't be again. Belichick will be ready for that stuff though. But the Rams are very creative in special teams when it comes to fakes and reverses and that kind of stuff in the kicking game. So that'll be a part of the game that'll be you need to look at and don't just overlook the special teams. In the Super Bowl, you can't be scared to be great. Yeah, I mean you got to throw it all on the table. I mean. And that's the thing, Belichick. Both these guys are gonna are, are are gamblers. Whether you think Belichick's a gambler or not, what did Belichick do in overtime in Kansas City on the Kansas City thirty before they won it? Ran a flea, flea flicker, flicker from the freaking Kansas City thirty. Ended up being an incomplete pass, but still a freaking flea flicker in overtime. Yeah, there was some yelling in that I sports mean, bar that day. <laughs> that night, what are you doing? I mean, but. Again, these guys play to win. One thing you can always say about Belichick and McVay, they're going to play to win. They're not playing to, for the tie. Brady wasn't playing for no field goal in overtime. No. That guy was – that guy. he had kicked it if he had to, but they were playing to win the game, and that's where you have to, you know, give all props to Brady as a competitor. That guy is the is – him and Montana are probably the two best competitors. Maybe Brett Favre's in that category of just gamers. You play to win the game. A.K.A. Herm Edwards, buddy. All right, so my early my early lean is to the Patriots. I might already have a little something something on the Patriots, something something maybe. That's my early lean. I'll give you my official Super Bowl pick next week. So, Double G, give me your Super Bowl picks. You might not be on the podcast next week. Let's. I told you that. Forty-one thirty-four. My Forty-one thirty-four. A shootout. All right, so I'm I'm leaning Patriots. I'll give you the official score next week, but. My initial thought is Patriots. I just I just think that the, the, the preparation time is going to really be a, a benefit to the Patriots. All right. Last thing we'll talk about here tonight, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame selection in Major League Baseball. Spring training right around the corner. Yesterday on Tuesday, the Hall of Fame announced their inductees for the 2019 class. We have Mariano Rivera, reliever, New York Yankees. Mike Mussina, pitcher. Edgar Martinez, designated hitter, and the late Roy Halladay, a.k.a. Doc Halladay. 75% approval needed to get into the hall by the writers. Needed 75% of the votes. A couple of names that didn't get in. Some controversial names that didn't get in. One Kurt Schilling. One Roger Clemens. One Barry Bonds. Those were probably the three big names that didn't get in. Double G, this is your, this is your department here. What are your what are your thoughts? You know, there was some controversy about should Messina gotten in, should Martinez have gotten in. Uh, your thoughts? I would say uh, Messina deserved to get in. He he was in the AL East for I think whole career, whole career, Baltimore, pitching, New York, pitching in all those parks. Uh, uh, I've heard some people say he was like the Greg Maddox of the American League. If you asked him to hit a spot on the outside 
corner, he hit it. Wherever you wanted to pitch, he hit it. He pitched in some big games. He came in relief uh, in a couple games and one big one in the playoffs. Uh, he 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 was well deserved. Uh, just you know, he had a long career, so I think that that helped him. I think a lot of people think he was really really good, but maybe not a Hall of Famer. Again, yes. that, I mean, you know, there's again, he he pitched a long time. He was always there, very durable. You know, oh. he, he pitched in the AL East, which is Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays back in that heyday when those guys. He also pitched in the steroid era. Yeah. I mean, which inflated everybody's numbers, and and he, he was a consistent 15 to 17, 18-game winner uh, many times. Yes, he the, was. The knocks on him is he never won a Cy Young, never was an MVP. I think he had, what, 270 wins, something yeah, like that? Yeah, 274, I believe. Which, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he was uh, – he, he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. You know. Right. I don't know if he's in the first room, but he's in the Hall of Fame. That's the other question. Should he have been a first ballot? Was he a fr- – No, no. no he, okay, no, he was, he's been done he's 10 been, or 12 years. Yeah, probably. yeah. He's okay. He was on his seventh or eighth year. Okay. Uh, I would say Doc Holliday, he, he, he was well-deserved. Roy uh, Holiday. Roy Holiday. Um, I don't know if he gets in – uh, this early, if uh, God rest his soul, he doesn't pass uh, pass away. But Excellent. he was well deserved. Won a Cy Young in both both leagues. Was clutching a lot. Threw a no hitter no, in the playoffs. Threw a no hitter in the playoffs for the for the Phillies. Um, he think he threw two or three no hitters overall. Yeah, he was well deserved. A big game pitcher uh, he was a, he was- in Toronto. Big game pitcher in Philly. Uh, and that guy went the distance too. That guy yes. wasn't afraid to go. And and I got to meet him once or twice off the field. Very humble guy, very Christian guy. He was there for the kids. Um, he he was a great man. And people don't realize early in his career, he had all kind of control problems for like the after he was in the major. They sent him down. He was in the major leagues a couple of years, and then he got sent all the way down to A ball to get his mechanics straightened out and his you know all yes. that stuff. And and then he really that's when he really elevated his game and. He was tremendous with uh, when he went to Philadelphia. Yeah. They won the World Series. They won the Philly. World Series. I mean, he when was, they beat the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay Rays. And people don't realize tragically the plane the plane wreck happened very close to where we're at here. Yeah. In, in, the, in the I think he crashed in the ocean. Yeah. His his one you know I was one or two passenger plane or something small plane crashed and he tragically died. But it, that happened right here, probably thirty minutes from where we sit yeah. right here. Not tonight. too far. Not too far. So very well deserved. But again, the question with him would be. Would he have gotten in on the first ballot if he if he if he was still alive? That's you know who, that's for debate. But he was definitely a Hall of Famer in my opinion. Yes, I agree. yes, I would say uh, Edgar Martinez. Edgar is Martinez the, is, is the, is the, is the, the one, one that is uh, not mind blowing. He I would say he's one of the top ten right handed hitters I've ever seen. Uh, I'm 46, so that's uh, the top. I'd say one of the top ten uh, right handers I've ever seen. Right handed hitters. Who, who are your top three or four? Uh, Manny Ramirez is one of the top three, but he's been he got uh he had some injections, so he got suspended two or three times. So yes. I don't think he's uh he's ever gonna make the Hall of Fame. But the argument I want to say about um Edgar Edgar was I seen somebody brought this to my attention today. He got into the Hall of Fame. Fred McGriff did not get in the Hall of Fame. Hometown Freddie McGriff, Freddie from McGriff Tampa, from Tampa, Tampa Florida. Florida. I think he ended up getting thirty nine. Percent of the votes. I think this was his last year uh, in in the voting. And just these stats, real quick. McGriff had 250 more hits, 183 more home runs, 300 more RBIs, won a World Series, and actually played defense. I mean, what's incredible about Edgar Martinez is, and I didn't know this till this morning. I saw this. 
He never had a season where he had 200 hits. He didn't hit three. He didn't have 3,000 career hits. No. I mean, he was a deep, basically a pure DH. Ninety percent of his career, I think he played a little bit in the outfield. Yeah. And at first base, but, first yeah. I mean, but a basically a pure DH. McGriff, all those stats that you just outlined, more more stats, more production. We're seven home runs away from the 500 club, and one of those seasons they had a strike season, so he would have shattered that. The they, they he got traded two or three times in the trade deadline, so he was the bonus guy that everybody always wanted wanted, wanted in the playoff picture. I mean, it's, you it's, know, played pretty good defense with the Tom Romansky drills back to back to back <laughs> in championships. The but Tom he's Romansky a great guy. Commercials, but with Fred McGriff wearing the big hat on his head, might be the one of the two funniest commercials you've ever seen in your life. And the big guy was Mariano Rivera. Uh, that was a no brainer, and he was the first one. To be it's incredible to think that he's the, the first, first guy to ever get 100% unanimous votes to the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's great for him that he's the first guy, which is great. But to think Ken Griffey Jr., Hank Aaron, I know, again, when Hank Aaron, there was, he was probably, you know, there's, I hate to say it, there's probably prejudice towards Hank Aaron when he was on the Cal ball. Ripken. Cal Ripken wasn't 100%er. Nolan Ryan wasn't Tom 100%. Tom Seaver. I mean, these guys that are just. Absolute no-brainers to think that those guys did not get 100% of the vote and that Mariano Rivera, which, again, if you don't vote for Mariano Rivera for the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, you should have your... But usually, usually you have one sports writer, a little older, maybe from... Has an agenda. Has an agenda, maybe wants to vote for somebody else. It's from Boston or something. I mean, want to stick it to him, but just like he comes out to the song, Inter Sandman, he's off to Never Neverland. It's never happened, 100%. And... Uh, from I heard he's a great guy. A great guy. Great guy. Great team guy. And if you listen today, A Rod was on. Alex Rodriguez was on a couple of sports stations, and A Rod praised him because he was one of the few people that backed him and was backing him in the locker room when all this stuff was going on. He was on his side. He was a great teammate. A Rod said, and uh, the guy I, had a point seven zero zero postseason ERA. I think he gave up 11 postseason runs in his career. I mean, and to do that in the in the amount of high leverage games that the Yankees played in during his career. Anytime you have a thing that says point zero point something in a in, in, in any postseason in career, postseason career, and really the only time he really failed was the the the, 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 the 3-0 blown series lead against the Red Sox, where he gave up a run and, a couple the, a couple of those and games, the, and, the, and then the jam session by. Uh, Luis, Luis Gonzalez, Tampa guy. That if the, if everybody if infield's not playing in, it's a pop fly to the shortstop, and we're playing the tenth inning. Yes, I mean it's incredible to think. I mean, and remember Mariano Rivera when he first came up, he wasn't the closer to start. Mister John Wetland was the initial closer, and Rivera kind of was the setup man. We don't want to talk about John Wetland. Yeah, right John now. Wetland's having some issues these days with some young kids. That allegedly. <laughs> John, wow. John, please, John. What are you doing, John? So but, yeah, it was it was a it was a good class, and um, you know, hopefully next year there's more guys that go in. And and, uh, and let's we'll, we'll talk real quick about the couple guys that didn't get in and what you think of their prospects of getting in. First of all, Kurt Schilling. I think he'll get in. I know he didn't get in this year. Kurt Schilling, probably one of the top ten post game pitchers yeah, of all yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep him comparable to freaking Messina, I think. I mean, if Messina gets in, I think he gets in. Yeah, I think I think Kurt Schilling will get in this get in eventually. Um, you know, 
Again, back to your agenda issues. I know Kurt Schilling's had some issues off the field. So did Steve Carlton with with with, got the, with the media. He had some business ventures and a couple of those kind of things that have gone gone awry. Where he's been in the news. You know, he was an analyst for ESPN for a while. And that blew some up. Off color. Yeah, he, I mean, so he might be feeling the effects of some of that. But I think from a pitching perspective, he'll be a Hall of Famer before it's over. His stats weren't off the charts, unbelievable, but. Again, as a post-game pitcher, he was probably one of the top five or yes, ten post-game pitchers good. of big, all time. Big-time pitcher. All right, here we go. One, Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. 59% of the of the vote. I, I have mixed emotions with, with Clemens and Bonds because I think they were both Hall of Famers before anybody did anything. And then my question is, why do you start doing it? If, you, if, you're, if you're on that track... Barry Bonds, best player in the game is as before the steroid era. Clemens, the best pitcher in the game before yeah. the steroid era. Uh, I mean, my opinion on that is uh, I'm not a pro uh, steroid person, but at that time, that wasn't against the rules. It wasn't against major league rules to use that stuff. They had speed in the in just the, federal uh, law. Yeah, just federal <laughs> law. You know, but I'm just saying that you know what you know they had uh you know they had other kinds of of. Uh, Things in the in the locker room that you can take amphetamines and stuff to you know you play a night game and then a morning game and travel they're, they're, travel, travel you know they're, they're they're taking pills you know everywhere greenies and stuff and it is what it is and just you know that helped it I mean do you think guys that are, that have been alleged or either you know the, the Manny Ramirez is the Alex Rodriguez is who are going to be the David Ortizes do you think those guys get in the hall I mean. Piazza got in the Hall of Fame. Isn't that correct? I think Piazza got in a couple Pudge years. Rodriguez Pudge Rodriguez got in. And I know Bagwell. All three of those, very skeptical. But never failed the test. But never failed the test. And neither, neither, neither is Barry Bonds. Or Roger Clemens, I don't yeah, think. Roger Clemens, uh, I, I don't know if he's actually failed him, but I know uh, there was. Some, he went to Congress. He's never done anything. And I think there right. might have been some creams or something that were steroid things. Right. But I don't think he's ever been suspended. Right. Again, everybody has their opinion on do you put a steroid guy in the Hall of Fame or not. I mean, that's going to be the you know the question is do these sports writers because once you let one in, you gotta you're going to you're going to put the A rods of the world and all those yeah. kind of guys in down the. I mean, you should if you're going to if they're hall, if they're Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, you, you got to put them in if you if you let because Bonds and Clemens are going to be the the the, the, yeah. the litmus test on this whole thing, and it's going to be interesting to see. They might have a steroids wing. And they have three more years of eligibility before yeah. they go to the Veterans Committee. I don't think they're getting in on the Veterans Committee. If there's yeah. a veteran, I think they got three years to get in. And if they don't get in in three years, they're in trouble. I, I think they're in big trouble as far as getting yes. in. So, uh, very interesting doings. Derek Jeter up for the Hall next year. Um, I think I saw – God, who else did I see? There was – again, I think Fred McGriff. Golly, I mean – I, I think he's going to get in the Veterans Committee. I think the I Veterans think. Committee will take care of Fred McGriff. I think Schilling will get in probably next year. Probably. Um, maybe but, two more years. But a very – very a good Hall of Fame class. Again, nobody that you can just say had no business being in the Hall of Fame. And they usually do a pretty good job of putting in the right guys. Occasionally, they'll put in compilers, guys that just play forever and accumulate stats. But I think this class is a good one. I think Martinez is the only one that could be debatable whether they get in or not. But – uh uh, Double G, you want us to tell everybody kind of, you know, some of the guys you've been you've worked with over the years, spring yeah, I mean, training guys I've, we've been at over your there. facility. We've been over there at Next Level. It's kind of by University of Tampa. Um, you know, we've had uh, Jose Batista roll over there, Jimmy Jimmy Rollins, J Roll, uh, Melky Cabrera. You know, we've had the likes of uh, 
Kevin Kiermaier. Kevin Kiermaier. center fielder and, for the Rays. And, uh, hometown Matt Joyce. People yeah. don't realize Tampa is a tremendous hotbed for, for you know, youth and high school baseball. A ton of ch- huge talents have come out of Tampa to play in the major leagues. Fred McGriff, Steve Garvey, Dwight Gooden, you know. Uh, Michael Gibbons. Yeah, I mean. They got that, Michael Gibbons over there. You got the Tucker boys. You know, that are up the, and coming who's guys. up and coming guys? I you mean, got all kinds of guys. Sam Dyson from Jesuit. He's for the uh, the guy who who uh, gave up the home run to Batista with the bat flip. Yeah, oh god, that ball still that's that ball, ball still, that ball still going. That, yeah. that ball still going. There's been a lot of Lou Pinella, Al yeah. Lopez. I mean, so it's a hotbed of. Uh, uh, of baseball, of, of baseball here, and I'd like to get back on here one day, and we could maybe talk high school sport, uh, high school baseball, because uh, that's coming up pretty soon too with tryouts next week. <laughs> Good plug there, Double G. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, I mean, so many of these major league guys with spring training all over the state of Florida, and especially here in Tampa, so many guys live in the Tampa Bay area in the off season, obviously because of the weather and the ability to train year round and all that stuff in the off season. So Tampa is a hotbed. Next level is a great uh, facility where guys go work out. Young kids, a lot of travel team, travel ball guys. A lot of high, Gary works with a lot of high school guys. So if you're on, if you if you, if you have a need for if you're in the Tampa Bay area and you have a need, you're looking for some private instruction, whether it's pitching, hitting, that kind of stuff. I definitely would have you look up a uh, next level instruction. Uh, instruction. Uh, they got website, all that good stuff. Nice little facility. I've been over there. Facebook. Uh, Facebook. It's uh, next level instruction. All right, so all right, so good Owner episode, Todd Double G. Yeah, good, good, good episode. Thanks for. And we are gonna. I'm gonna try to get in your buddy, Coach Crumley. We're gonna try to get. He's going into the Hall of Fame here in the state of Florida. I'm gonna get. We're gonna have a little round table. I think I'm gonna try to set up a round table discussion on the on the state of baseball and all that stuff. So I think we're gonna try to set that up as we move forward. But again, appreciate you listening to us. If you have any comments, love to hear from you. Twitter at Kick the FB. Kick the FB like football, but just FB. Uh, let us know what you think. Tell a friend. Forward our podcast to somebody. Take a listen. We're on iTunes, Pod, Apple, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. I'm going to put it on my Twitter account, the episode. But, again, appreciate the double G. We'll see you for the Super Bowl. It was great. And uh, y'all have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Powers on Sports Podcast.